Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. It's always good to have you with us. And if you are a Sunday school teacher, let me just say thank you for listening to the audio here. And may the Lord bless you. I've already prayed for you today and praying for your class as well, because these kind of things that we're going through in this part of the catechism are really more discipleship than they are anything else. And um, if you're watching the video because you missed Sunday school, thank you for keeping up with everybody. That's a great blessing to know that we're all learning together, even when you can't be there. Well, we're talking today, asking the question, what is prayer? Boy, that can go, you know, about a mile wide, can it? What is prayer? But they give us uh, a pretty concise answer here. And they say, prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in, and then they list these things, praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. You know, we kind of need all aspects of that. And I would ask you to just stop and consider how you pray sometime. Does it have any of those things or maybe just one or two of those things in it and try to be a little bit more uh, well-balanced in that. And we'll talk about that as we go through the lesson. But pouring out our hearts, that's a interesting phrase. It comes from the scripture that we're going to look at in just a moment. In fact, we're going to use the scripture of um, Psalm 62.8 really as our outline, and we'll supplement it with some other scriptures, but you might want to go ahead and turn there. But in that answer, pouring out our hearts, I have noticed that sometimes people pour out their hearts a little better than they do at other times. Uh, what I mean by that is if you watch and listen to the prayers of some people, it's nothing but just, you know, a string of cliches and just words that they normally wouldn't use. And then you watch that same person when they are told that their son or daughter has cancer or that someone in their family has passed away and they cry out to God and boy, they really pour their heart out then. And uh, that's the way it ought to be more all of the time. Now, I don't necessarily mean the emotion of it. Don't get me wrong. But it should be that our heart is, well, our prayers, let's put it this way, are really heartfelt and not just something that we do because we're supposed to or because it's the right time or the right place. And we'll try to talk a little bit more about that. But in this uh, pouring our heart, heart out to God, Notice I mentioned praise. Do you start to pray and you say, uh, Dear Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus or something like that, however you introduce it, and then immediately go into your shopping list of what you want? Uh, God's not Santa Claus and you're not crawling up in his lap and telling him what you want for Christmas. Now, we're going to get to that, that there is a place for asking. And the Bible does say you have not because you ask not. And so, um, you know, I just go ahead and ask. But is that the only thing you do? Is that the primary thing you do? And maybe even think about this. Is it the first thing you do whenever you start to pray? Well, this answer here tells us we need to take some time to praise God. By praising him, I don't just mean just saying praise God or hallelujah. I, I mean thinking about who he is, thinking about what he has done, thinking about his attributes. 
I praise you, Father, because you're the maker of the universe and the maker of heaven and earth. I praise you, Father, because you're the one that sent your only son to live a perfect life and be the sacrifice for my sin. I praise you, Father, because you raised Jesus from the dead. I praise you because, and you can go on and on and on with that. And you can think about Bible stories that you know. I praise you as the one who parted the Red Sea. I praise you as the one who preserved his people. I praise you as the one who enabled David to slay the giant. Those types of things, if you will notice, and maybe you do a little study on your own, when you read particularly through the Old Testament, but also in the New, that was the common thing that the people of God would do over and over and over and over. They would recite the attributes and the works and the greatness of God, uh, usually before they did anything else. And the reason they did that is it kind of put everything else in perspective. I've got this huge problem over here until I look at the works of God and I see everything that he has done and he is doing. And then all of a sudden my problem looks small in comparison to God. So Lord who made the universe and put the stars in place and raised Jesus from the dead, got a little problem over here. And that's kind of what that does for us. So praise the Lord, even when you don't feel like it. Praise is not just exuberant feelings about God. I'm always glad when those come. And we ought to be expressive in, in that way. But praise is something that we should do at all times. And especially when we are overwhelmed by the things that we're facing, praise God, praise Him and get things into perspective. You notice uh, the next thing that they told us is petition. After we have praised him, now we start asking him to intervene. We ask him for help. We ask him to provide all kinds of things that are in here. Petition, the asking. But there's also confession of sin. You know, if all we think of God is he's this being who exists so that we can get what we want, that's falling really short of the glory of God. That would be a sinful thing, right? Something that needs to be repented of because we need to see ourselves as the sinner who is undeserving to come into God's presence except for the cleansing that we receive through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He bore the wrath of God in our place and for us he was rejected by God so that we would never have to be rejected. And uh, that's opposite of what it really ought to be. And that's why it's called grace, undeserved favor. Grace is more than just God's being nice to us. He's giving us what we don't deserve. And so we confess our sin and we do that continually, even after we're saved. When you think about 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, it says, the, uh, the verb confess there is in the Greek something that is done continuous, continuously. In, in other words, you could read that verse, if we are continually confessing our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us. Why? That's the mark of a Christian. The more you know about God, the closer you get to God, the more you spend time in his word, the more you're going to see your sin. And so you confess. What does confess mean? I used to think it meant name every sin, but I'm not sure that uh, I could do that or you could do that. It's hard to remember everything that we've done and to think of everything we've done. The word confess means 
to agree with God. If you want the Greek word, it's homologeo. Say the same thing about sin that God does. And so it's more than just admitting that we're wrong. Even a criminal will do that. You may uh, see on the news sometime that a mass murderer, the worst of the worst, they admit to what they have done, but they're not sorry for it. And uh, when we talk about homo legeo, when we talk about confession of sin, it means coming to the place where we see our sin as God sees our sin, and we have remorse over it, and we hate our sin, and we don't want it to be a part of our life anymore because we say the same thing that God says about sin. You know, um, as I get older and listen to people and have this tendency myself, we look back, don't we? We look back. And sometimes we look back and we kind of laugh and, you know, chuckle about some of the things we did when we were young that are absolutely sinful and horrible. Those are not the good old days and the good old times. God brought you out of all of that. And what you are living right now ought to be the good old days because you're right with God and you're understanding more about God and you're not enthralled with the things of the world or the things of your past. You know, it's interesting. The psalmist prayed, remember not the sins of my youth. But I notice a lot of people are kind of proud of the sins of their youth. And we need to see things the way God does. That's what confession is. Homo legeo, seeing and saying about your sin in agreement with what God says about it. But don't leave out the last thing either, thanksgiving. We are a selfish group of people. And we forget what God has done for us. We forget what he's provided for us. And if you watch some of the can't remember who it was. Somebody preaching here one time called him the, the happy boys on TV. You're thinking that I should thank God if he were to work a dramatic miracle in my life right now. Well, what about thanking him because you can breathe? What about thanking him because you're able to get up, get out of bed? Um, some of you remember uh, Brother Stan Lee. Miss him. He's not the only one I miss, but I miss him. And I remember every time I would say, hey, Brother Stan, how are you doing today? When I'd come into the office, he would say, Pastor, I got up this morning. I'm happy. And, I, you know, so many times we forget just the very fact that we woke up, the very fact that we were able to get up, dress ourselves, get cleaned up and go somewhere. There are a lot of people, people in nursing homes, people in the hospital. I've got a friend from high school who's suffering from ALS. He can't do anything for himself right now. You know, we ought to be thankful. We act sometimes like it's the biggest chore in the world to go to work. Well, some people don't have a job. We act like it's the biggest chore in the world to take care of our kids. Some people would give anything to have children. We think about all of the things that we complain about. And if you'll take a close look, how many of the things you complain about are actually blessings and things you actually should give thanks to God for. This idea of thanksgiving, um, I know it sounds like the holiday. Well, that's what the holiday actually was set up for, a day of giving thanks. And we need to be thankful for everything that God has done, not just when he behaves right and does what we want him to do, but everything. He's given us so much, and especially when we think, spiritually about everything, what he has given us in Christ. 
and what our future holds. I'm really glad that contrary to uh, the book by Joel Osteen, Your Best Life Now, I'm really happy to announce that my best life is yet to come. And if you're a Christian, so is yours. And that ought to make you smile a little bit. That ought to make you hopeful. That ought to make you tolerate the things that are going down here on earth with a better attitude and with a tremendous amount of hope. Now, here's the scripture, Psalm 62, 8. Psalm 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So we're going to talk about that and use that as we uh, make our points here today. And we want to uh, understand as we talk about praying people and what they're like. And the first point we have here is praying people are expressing their trust and their dependence through prayer. That first part of that verse says, trust in him. How do, how do I trust in God? Um, how do I express my trust in God? Well, sometimes it's through my actions. Sometimes God says, do this and I do this. Don't do this and I don't do this. I read his word and you find there are a lot of do's and don'ts and there's practical wisdom in there and I express my trust by, by obeying him. That's certainly true. But consider this. If I live my life without prayer, aren't I really living my life as an atheist. I don't mean to be an atheist, and I'm not really an atheist, but I'm living my life like an atheist. An atheist bows his knee before no God. And sometimes I find myself kind of doing that as well. I can handle this on my own. Uh, Ron Dunn one time said that our problem is we have prayer. It's kind of behind glass with a sign on it that says emergency use only. And so when things get bad enough, we break the glass and get out our prayer, and then we get serious about it. Well, folks, it ought to be something that we're serious about all the time because that's how I express my trust to the Lord. Praying people express their trust in the Lord and their dependence upon God through prayer. Trust in Him. I can't exist without Him, neither can you. That's why Paul said, in Him we live and move and have our being. I mean, he's our creator. He's the one who gave us life. He's a sustainer of life. And so everything we do is dependent upon him. I didn't get saved because I just walked along, stumbled along and found Jesus one day. I got saved because I have a God who made me and a God who cares about me, a God who loves me and a God who brought me to the place where he as the good shepherd sought and found me and drew me to himself. And he's the one that paid for my sins through his cleansing blood. He's the one that lives in me through his Holy Spirit. He's the one that gave me his word and the ability to understand his word. I mean, on and on we could go with all of that. We're dependent upon God. We just don't realize it. We're like the little two-year-old who thinks that because uh, he's seen his shoelaces down there and there's one on the right and one on the left, and he thinks he knows how to tie them and he doesn't, and he'll swat your hand away when you try to help them sometime. And, uh, you know, you think about all of that and how we kind of laugh at that. 
Well, how foolish are we when we try to live life? We try to be a parent without real prayer. We try to be a husband or a wife without real prayer. We try to be good citizens and salt and light in this land in which we live without real prayer. And so we've got to get to the place of understanding that it's my prayer life that shows how much I trust God and how dependent that I might be upon Him. In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, in response to the disciples asking for Jesus to teach them to pray, Jesus said, here's how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That part about the kingdom, the power and the glory is not in the oldest Greek text. So that's a little bit debatable, but it's still a a good thing to think about, isn't it? Nothing sinful in it. And as I thought about that prayer, and the reason that I recited it is, if you think about it, everything is addressed in that one prayer. You address the praise to the Lord, and you address His his being, and His will, and His kingdom, and your earthly needs, daily bread, and your sinful needs, you know, forgive us our debts, your relationships as we forgive uh, the debts of others. You think about uh, warfare, and you think about your need to be delivered from the evil one and to be led in ways, it's not saying that, you know, if I don't pray this, God will lead me into temptation. He's not the one that tempts us. That's just the way of saying, don't lead me into the way where I'm going to be tempted. Keep me free from all of that. And so it's not so much about, I'll just repeat this prayer, and we'll talk about this more, I think, next week. Uh, It's about grasping what Jesus was teaching them to do. These elements ought to be in our prayer life. And we ought to think about those kind of things. And what's on God's heart ought to be on our heart. And uh, somebody said that this really is not the Lord's prayer. It's the disciples prayer. Or I prefer to call it the model prayer. So think about that and maybe read over that and see how closely your prayers match up with um, the example prayer that the Lord gave us. And we need to consider the fact that there ought to be apparently some thought put into our prayer. Now, a lot of you admire Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And I read one time that uh, he would not pray in the pulpit unless he had had time to write down and put thought into his prayer. Now, do I think that's necessary? No. But do I think it's a, an admirable thing? Yes, I do. Because sometimes our prayers don't make sense. Sometimes our prayers are just rambling, jumbled up thoughts that, uh, you know, we pray whatever comes to our mind. And we need to be careful about that because sometimes what comes to our mind is not always good, not always righteous, not always from the Lord, is it? And so Jesus gave us that to kind of give us an example of what prayer really looks like. So take a look at that sometime. Trust and dependence is in that first point. Second point, praying people are not tied to ritualistic praying. We kind of have touched on that, but I want to 
amplify that just a little more. Notice that in that uh, uh, scripture that we read out of Psalm 66, notice the three words, at all times. And what I mean by uh, this second point is there are some people who kind of have the idea that they pray at appropriate times and only appropriate times as they see fit. Well, there are appropriate times to pray. We don't dispute that at all. Except that when we think about praying at all times, it reminds me that we're not to be just ritualistic, uh, liturgical, we might say. Um, I don't know, hypocritical maybe? Praying empty prayers and empty words that come from an empty heart. Uh, think about Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, notice it's not if you pray, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. See, and I, and, and I would think using a little bit of sanctified imagination, that's probably the only time they really love to pray, is when it was church time. And they would pray in church, but they don't pray anywhere else. And then it says they had another thing they would do, and at the street corners... Well, why would you pray at a street corner? Here it is, that they may be seen by others. And you know, if you're praying and you're conscious of everybody else around you, that's a little bit insulting. I don't know if you've ever been maybe at a church talking to somebody and while you're talking to them, they're looking past you to someone else. That's a little bit insulting. And uh, I think we do that sometimes when we pray, don't we? We're, we're concerned about what other people are hearing and what they're thinking and are they responding and all of that kind of stuff. That's hypocritical praying, isn't it? That means that we don't pray when nobody's looking. We pray to be seen by men and for a response from men, not a response from God. That's uh, something that we need to think about. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, sometimes are obvious that we need prayer. If we're in a worship service, yes, we should pray and we ought to pray. But we've got to be careful that we're not just doing it just because we were called upon, just because it's expected. And we've got to be careful that we're not conscious of all of the people listening to us and praying with us. And I'll grant you that is hard. We're talking to God after all. We also need to think about this. When you're around somebody who's sick, they've just heard bad news from the doctor, they're in the hospital, uh, you're talking to them on the phone, they're suffering with COVID. Is it appropriate to pray? You bet it is. You bet it is. When you hear that someone has died and uh, you want to minister to their family, it's appropriate to pray. There's just some times when prayer ought to be done. But you know, tragedy may strike, any number of things may happen, but they're not the only times of prayer. And that's, that's kind of what I'm getting at to just ask you this question. Is that the only time you pray? Is that the only time you're consistent in prayer? Because this is supposed to be something done at all times. The Bible tells us pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of an attitude. We should always be in an attitude of prayer. It's not that we have our hands folded. We're not always on our knees. We don't always have our eyes closed. But everything we come to and everything we face and everything that comes against us reminds us of our God, of His power, of His strength, 
of his presence, of his nearness. It's an attitude. It's being conscious of God at all times, not just in the synagogue or in the church, not just before a meal, not only when tragedy strikes, but every single time. And uh, notice when we think about praying that it always includes other people. We don't simply pray for ourselves alone. If you go back and you look at that model prayer the Lord gave us, it's not my father in heaven, it's our father. It's not give me my daily bread, it's give us our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. In other words, Jesus wants us to be intercessors praying for other people. And so as we are driving down the highway and somebody pulls in front of you, maybe instead of honking your horn, maybe you ought to say a prayer for them. When you are at a restaurant and um, the waiter or waitress is a little late bringing your food, maybe instead of griping at them, maybe you need to pray for them. They may be having a worse day than you are with your cold food. Um, always think about everything that goes on, how you could be thankful for some things, how you could pray about some things and situations, uh, conscious of God at all times and including others and their needs. It's about love and gratefulness, and it's also about your motive, not about the response of others. We should care less that others are impressed or think we pray some pretty words. I watched an old, old movie one time. It might have been The Grapes of Wrath. I don't remember now. And uh, somebody died, and they were burying them uh, by the road. And uh, when they got through, the, the girl said, Paul, shouldn't somebody say some pretty words over them? And I'm afraid that a lot of people think that prayer is just the reciting of, of pretty words, I guess we would say. It's I hope you see through this in these first two points. It's so much more than that. And it's not about what others hear at all. Thirdly, praying people are, I'm going to call it this, heart people. Heart people. Pour out your heart, the psalmist said before him. You know, in Matthew, uh, going back to chapter 6, we read in verse 6, but when you pray, go to your room. I know King James Version says closet. They didn't really have bedrooms and closets like we think of them back then. Uh, that word in the Greek means a storeroom. And so uh, that would be a place wherever you can get private, in other words. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so the time, the place, and the situation are, uh, I've got here, somewhat irrelevant. I'm not going to say they don't matter. Irrelevance. I'm not going to say they don't matter. But I am going to say this. You don't have to be in the church house to pray. It doesn't have to be at a holy time in order for you to pray. In fact, one of the cures to getting over what Jesus warned us about in public praying is to do your praying in secret. To go to a place, shut the door, close yourself in, and spend time with God where you don't have to worry about what other people might think. Some people are terrified to pray in public because they're afraid they might say a wrong word or they might stammer or stutter or mispronounce something or say something kind of weird. Well, we've all done that. 
And when we pray to the Father, it's like incense going up to Him, even when we mess it up, even when we're not exactly accurate in what we do. That's one of the reasons God gave you the Holy Spirit. He's your prayer editor as He takes it before the Lord Jesus, and the Lord Jesus takes it before the Father. And what they pray always gets answered. We've got to get our prayers lined up with uh, theirs. But when you do this, and you do this without anybody around, and you do this knowing that God is hearing you and hearing your prayer, it gives you confidence in how to pray and, and the fact that it's a blessing to be able to talk to God because except for His grace through the sacrifice of Christ, you wouldn't have a prayer. And so He searches our heart, and He's the one that guides us. The Holy Spirit will bring things to your mind things that you've read in the Scripture. He'll remind you of things that you've done or haven't done that need to be confessed and forsaken. He'll remind you of things for which you can be thankful. I mean, uh, the Holy Spirit's very, very involved in all of this, and it really is about communicating God, having our soul nourished, and glorifying Him by having our heart lining up with His heart instead of trying to get Him to see things our way. That's always annoying. And then lastly... Praying people find their hope in God alone. Psalmist said, God is a refuge for us. Where do, where do you go when you're in trouble? Where do you run to when you don't know what to do? Where do you go to for answers? Where do you go to for comfort? Where do you go to for peace and security? Well, you've got to run to the Lord because He is our only hope. Nothing else can give that to us. Consider Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father, notice the stress on that word, your Father, knows what you need before you ask Him. And so Jesus is not saying don't pray long prayers. There's sometimes when uh, Christians have prayed all night long. I was at a church in Texas, and we had a Korean church that met there, and they would have all-night prayer meetings. And uh, there have been times when I couldn't sleep, and I would pray all through the night. Jesus isn't condemning long prayers. He's condemning the motive for long praying. He says the pagans pray, thinking that it's the words, their words, that make their prayer acceptable. And if they can string enough of them together, you remember the prophets of Baal when they were uh, uh, wanting Baal to send fire down on their sacrifice. And you remember how it went on and on and on and on and on and on like they're just trying to wear him down until he would finally do something. And you remember that Elijah got up there and he prayed a very short prayer and the fire came down from heaven. And what Jesus is saying is, don't pray like a pagan. This is not an incantation that we are doing. And some people pray like they are trying to cast a spell or say some magic words or something like that. It, it couldn't be any further from the truth. The, uh, uh, word, the phrase there, empty phrases. Vain repetition, I think the King James says. Vain means empty. And the idea is just thoughtless, mindless cliches and words coming out of our mouth. That doesn't impress God. That doesn't get a hold of God. And that doesn't guarantee your prayer is going to be answered. We've got to be careful that prayer is not just uh, some kind of a superstitious 
thing that we do. I'd be afraid not to. It's, it's more than that. You're relating to your father, Jesus said. Your father knows you. Your father hears. Your father knows your needs even before you ask them. He's a father to you. He loves you. And so the power is not in the prayer. I uh, hear people say all the time, I believe in the power of prayer. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Let me, let me put it this way. I guess I would say actually no. I believe in the power of God. And I access that through prayer. But a parrot could take a good prayer, even one out of the Bible, and recite it and it wouldn't have any power. A lost person can pray and it doesn't have any power because they're devoid of the Spirit. This is the power of God that we really need. And we see that when we pray to the Lord. The power is not in the prayer, but in the living, loving, gracious, merciful God who knows us and sees us and knows our needs even before we ask. He doesn't have to scramble to meet them. They're already there, already ready to meet them. So we pray. So think about this. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our thankfulness. And he's worthy of our awe and reverence before him. And these are things to be sung, to be preached, to be read in the scriptures, to be testified of, I might add. But they also should be expressed in our constant prayers. This past Sunday, we talked about the altar of incense in Exodus. And then we saw how the incense rising, how wonderful it was and how good it would smell. In other places, that's referred to as the prayers of the saints. And so I'll say to you what I said on Sunday. Got problems? dissatisfied with your spiritual life, your walk with God, your fruitfulness, concerned about other people, the spouse, your children, the state of affairs in the nation, whatever it might be, pray about it. Light some incense. Send some up so that it smells sweet before the Lord. But take this lesson in mind and don't just be a person who prays like a person on the piano who can only play one note. Put some harmony in your prayer and some beauty in your prayer by doing those four things that this catechism answer gives us. Include all of them and use the model prayer if you need to as a guide and cover all of those things because that's how we ought to pray. And the Lord is, I believe, raising up prayer warriors in our own church for such a time as this. So go for it and the Lord will teach you how to do it and he's very, very patient. And uh, because of Christ, our prayers are actually heard by the maker of the universe. Praise his holy name. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your time today as you've paid attention to these things. And I pray that it has fed your soul and blessed your life. God bless you and thank you.